Well, good morning, church. Happy New Year. Full house today. It is really good to see all of you today. Welcome. If it is your first time at Double Oak or first time in a while or just first few times or even if you've been here years and years, I am thrilled that all of us have made a decision to say, hey, I want to start off this year worshiping Jesus Christ. And I am excited that we get to do that together today. Uh, listen, before we jump into the sermon for today, I have a great announcement for y'all. Uh, if you've been with us for a while, you know that we have been in a search over the past uh, eight months or so looking for a new middle school minister uh, to serve here at the church. We have been doing a nationwide search. It is actually very hard to find uh, youth ministers in this day and age. Well, we've been praying for a long time, and we are thrilled to let you know that uh, we actually have hired a new middle school minister uh, to come and join us in our youth ministry. Her name is Sid. Varga. Uh, she is a student who's graduating from Liberty University. Uh, and in just a couple weeks, she's going to be joining us on our youth ministry staff. Uh, many of you guys got to meet her a month ago. A lot of our students got a chance to meet her. Many of our parents, uh, our staff, our elders got a chance to hang out with her last month. We were incredibly impressed. Uh, she already comes uh, with a lot of experience, uh, got a lot of great uh, ideas about moving ministry forward. And she's very passionate about middle school specifically. Uh, and so Hunter is elated uh, and Claire too that we got folks ready to join us and help us out in our student ministry but we are thrilled that she's going to be joining us uh, right after the MLK holiday is when she'll be joining us. Now uh, this will be the last time that I introduce her as Sydney Varga because this week she is also getting married. Uh, so uh, she's got a lot going on in her life uh, and so from here on henceforth she will be known as Sydney Houston uh, but for today this is her name so I would introduce her as such uh, but I hope that you will join me in praying with her uh, uh, as she gets married, as she comes to move here to start a new ministry with us, we are elated for her to join our team. Uh, and I'm excited for you to get a chance to get to know her. But let's take a moment even now uh, and just pray for her uh, as she gets ready to come and join our staff. So bow your heads if you will. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are the giver of all good gifts. And when we ask for our needs, you provide what we need. And Lord, for months now, we've been praying for a very specific person to come and join us on our youth staff. Uh, Lord, we love our students and we want to see them grow in you. And we needed the right people to come alongside of us. And Lord, we believe that you have provided that in Sydney. And so Lord, thank you for just that provision, for, for moving things and opening doors to make this happen. And even as she prepares to come and join us, as she is taking uh, so many big steps and getting married and moving to a new town and coming to join us in ministry, we pray a blessing upon her upon her fiance, Father, upon the entire middle school ministry here at this church, through all the things that you are about to do. God, we want to see your kingdom come and your will be done specifically amongst our students and specifically our middle school. And so we ask a blessing upon them as we open this new chapter of ministry starting in just a few days. But thank you for answering our prayers. We pray blessings upon Sydney as she prepares to come and join us. In your name we pray. And we all said... Amen. Amen. All right, grab your Bibles now, if you will. Let's go to Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Matthew 28, verse 16 is where we're going to be in just a minute as we kick off a brand new year. Uh, Matthew 28, verse 16. Hopefully you got a copy of God's Word. Uh, if not, we have it right there on our app if you have that. If not, I'm sure somebody next to you will be happy for you to look on with them. They'll be friendly. Uh, check that out. There's copies of God's Word on the, your way out, though, if you want to grab one. I love to hear all those pages flipping uh, as we are opening God's Word. Matthew 28, end of Matthew, verse, uh, chapter 28, verse 16, is where we'll be in just a moment. 
While you guys are turning there, uh, let me ask a question. I wonder when was the last time you said to yourself, man, I really want to change the world. How many of you ever said that at some point in your life? I want to change the world. You ever said that? Yeah, a lot of us, right? I imagine it was actually all of us at some point in time. As we grow, most of us have this idea of, I just want to change the world. Typically, that's when we are younger, but that really doesn't change as we get older. We just put different words to it. If you've not said that lately, I want to change the world. Maybe you've said something like this. Man, I want my life to have impact. I want my life to make a difference. I want to leave this world better than the way I found it. I want to have influence in the world. If you said anything like that, these are just variations of this thing that we've been saying, which is we want to change the world. And look, this is universal. It really is. Look at influencer culture. If you ask anybody under the age of 25 what they want to do with their life, many of them will say, I want to be an influencer. I want to have a YouTube channel. I want to influence people. I want, I want people to, to know who I am and what, I, what I'm talking about. And I, I always tend to ask, okay, what are you influencing them towards? Uh, that's always a good question to ask. But there's just this desire in us to influence those who are around us. And, and guys, that's actually a good thing. It's actually a God-given thing. If you feel that desire, that's something that God puts in us. Right at the beginning when he gave us the planet, he says, listen, I don't just want to give you everything ready-made. I want you to develop this world. I want you to grow. I want you to create. I want you to invent. I want you to do new things. This idea that we want to change the world, to influence the world around us, is something that God has put in us from the very beginning. But how do we actually do that? Because look, when you really begin to try to work that out, that might stir up all kinds of feelings. You may not just have the feeling of, hey, I want to influence the world. You might have some guilt over that. You might say, Adam, I, I don't know if I've really done a whole lot of that in my life. I don't know if I've, I'm really leaving the world better than a way I found it. I don't know if I've taken advantage of all my opportunities. And you might feel some kind of latent guilt about that. Or, or maybe you just feel exasperated. Say, Adam, I tried that. I don't think it works. Have you seen the world? It's terrible. I tried to influence it. I tried to change it. I just don't even think that's possible. So you know what? The world can take care of itself. I'm going to take care of me. Thank you very much. The world can do whatever it wants to do, but I don't even know if it's possible. I'm just exasperated. I'm exhausted by this idea that I need to change the world. But this morning, I want to remind you of a few things. The first is this. It is absolutely possible for you and I to change the world. It is absolutely possible for you and I to change the world. Also, the Lord is inviting you into a process of changing the world. That's his plan too. That didn't start with you. It started with him. And he says, I want to invite you into my plan to change the world. But here's the thing. His plan to change the world might not be the one you originally think of. His way of actually changing the world might not be the first one that comes to our minds. And that's what we're going to find ourselves in Matthew chapter 28, uh, verses 16 through 20. Now, if you uh, are familiar with the Bible, you might be familiar with this passage. It's a famous, famous passage. In fact, your Bible might even have a little title there calling this the Great Commission. This is at the end of Jesus's ministry, last verses of Matthew. Jesus has died on the cross and has been resurrected. Since that time, he's been appearing to his disciples, but he doesn't stay with them 24-7. He's still kind of mysterious to them. They don't fully understand what's going on. But Jesus tells them to meet him at a certain spot, 
And look at what happens. Verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And that's it. That's the plan. Did you catch it? Everybody got it? You understand? Because that's it. You say, well, no, it can't be it, right? Surely there's more, right? There's got to be a more full-fledged plan. There's got to be some other things that we got to do. And surely we'll break a couple of things down, but, but that's the plan. God's plan for changing the world to be the way it ought to be is simply this. I want you to be my disciples and I want you to go make disciples of all nations. That's the whole plan. And guess what? It's been working for 2,000 years. It is the plan that has actually been working as the gospel has been going over the planet, as the kingdom of God has been traversing millennia, as it's been traversing national boundaries, cultural boundaries, uh, time boundaries, language boundaries, governmental boundaries. The kingdom of God has continued to advance. It's God's plan for changing the world. It is simply this, that we are to be disciples who go and make disciples of all nations. How does that set with you? Like when you think about actually changing the world, what do you think of that plan? Because look, we might have other plans in mind, but they are not the plan that God came up with. Because think about all the things he could have said here that he does not say. Think about all the different ways that Jesus could have affected change in our world that he doesn't mention at all. Jesus could have gathered the 11 guys and says, all right, guys, here we are. Here's what I need. I got 11 of you left. I need all of you to get elected to political office. If we just get the right guys elected, we're gonna change everything. I just need all of you to be in the right parties, to get in the right places, to be in the right positions. And if all of you get elected, we'll have enough political power to actually change the world. Is that what he says? He does not. Here's what else he doesn't say. He doesn't look around and go, Yo, okay, I got 11 of you. Guess what? You're all my generals now. What we need is some military power. If we just get enough armies, I need each of you to raise an army. If we get enough military power, we'll just make everybody follow me. All right, that's the way. It's before their own good. I'm right. You know that. Here's the deal. We're just gonna make everybody do it. And if we force everybody to do it through military power, we can make this work. We'll change the world. Is that what he says? He does not. He also doesn't say this. Okay, guys, listen, what we need here, I got 11 of you guys, I need you to get popular. You're all my influencers now. I need you to amass a following, okay? Get everyone to like you because if everybody likes you and enough people like you, we will actually be able to affect some change. So I need you to say whatever you gotta say, man, just amass enough popularity because if you guys have enough popularity, we can change the world. Is that what he says? He does not. Here's what else he doesn't say. Okay, it's time for us to tackle all the major problems of the world. Listen, I brought salvation, but now it's time to, to tackle all the major issues of society, all right? We need to tackle some oppression. James, John, you're the sons of thunder. Sounds like a good job for you. You guys take that one. Hunger, we gotta take care of hunger. Who found the kid with the five loaves and the two fish? Andrew, that was you. You're on hunger. Check that out. Poverty, gotta take care of that. Matthew, that's on you. Fix that, all right? Let's change all of the major social issues that we have because if we change all of those, the world will be changed for the better and we will change the world. Is that what he said? 
He does not. Important is maybe some of those things might be and not others. The Lord doesn't mention any of those as the path to truly change the world. He says, I have a very simple plan. It's this. I need you to be my disciples who will go make disciples of all nations. If you do that, it will absolutely change the world. It is the plan that has been working for 2,000 years and it is the plan he is inviting us to join him in. He's even doing that right here at Double Oak. Listen, here at Double Oak Community Church, we have three core values. Uh, if you've been here a while, you've heard these uh, ad nauseum. We actually put them out on our uh, columns out in the commons, but they are these. We believe in maturity, community, and charity. What does that mean? Well, quite simply, it means that we want to be growing in spiritual maturity, living in spiritual community, and serving in spiritual charity. This is what it means. This is how we walk out being disciples. We want to grow in our spiritual maturity, we want to live in spiritual community and we want to serve in spiritual charity. This is how we live out being a disciple of Christ. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're actually going to break these down and look at them. What does it mean for us to live each of these out? And so this week, we're going to be looking at the first one. What does it mean for us to be growing in spiritual maturity? If we are to be disciples of Christ, we ought to be growing in our spiritual maturity. But, but how does that work? What does that look like? We actually see a lot of the things to do right here in this passage that Jesus gives to us. So look at verse 16, and, or verse 18 rather, and notice what it says. Jesus came to them and says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's the first thing that we need to do. We need to be baptized. This is the entry point for all believers. Listen, I want to be baptized. Why? Because this is a sign. This is a symbol of what God has done in our lives. First off, what that means is if we're getting baptized, it means that we have repented of our sins. We have turned away from our former life. We have repented of our earlier life. If you've been reading Luke 1 through 5 in our Bible reading plan this week, you saw John the Baptist who came in the wilderness with a baptism of repentance. People went to him and said, listen, I'm going to turn away from my sins. And so when we come to Jesus Christ, we say, Jesus, I am a sinner and I am broken. But then guess what else baptism signifies? It says, listen, I can't save myself. I need God to do a miracle in me. So whenever you see somebody get into these baptistry waters and you see somebody go underwater and come back out of the water, it is a picture of death and rebirth. It is literally a visual representation of what has happened in someone's life. They say, listen, I want everybody to know I died. I didn't have a couple problems I needed to get fixed. No, the old me had to die. And then Jesus did this amazing miracle. He made me born again. I am brand new in Jesus Christ. And when you come out of those waters, you are coming out as a brand new person. And we do that publicly. Why? You're identifying. says, I want everybody to know that Jesus Christ is my Savior. He has saved me from my sins and I am brand new in Him. This is why we baptize as believers. And so guess what? Some of you in this room, part of being a disciple means this. You need to be baptized. If you've never been baptized as a believer, I would strongly encourage you to be baptized. Now look, you, you do not need to get re-baptized. If you've been baptized as a believer, you don't need to get baptized again. We talked about this a little bit last year. 
Why is that? Well, because you didn't lose your salvation, you can't gain it back. You don't need to get re-baptized. Just because you have a fight with your wife, you don't need to get remarried after that, okay? If you didn't get divorced, you don't need to get remarried, right? That's not how that works. It's a one-time thing. But some of you have never been baptized since your salvation. But if you've never publicly said, I repent of my sins, Jesus Christ has saved me. I'm brand new in him. I want to identify publicly that I am a believer in Jesus Christ. I would implore you, I would encourage you to say, I want to be baptized. I mean, you can talk to us today. You can start that process. We would love for you to join and follow through in believers' baptism. Here's the second thing. Look at verse 20. He says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Right, so the second thing there is that he need to teach all that Jesus has commanded. All right, that's, that's a lot. We are to learn about all that Jesus has commanded. Now that's a lot. Some of us know a few things that Jesus said. Maybe you know some of the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe you know the Golden Rule. You know a couple of different things that Jesus said. Jesus said, I don't want you to know a couple of things I said. I want you to know everything I said. I want you to know all that I have commanded. Well, where are you going to learn that? Well, you're going to learn that in his word. You're going to learn that in the Bible. This is why God has given us his word, so that we might know what he said, what he taught, how to live that out. It's all right here. And this is why, by the way, we're challenging everybody in our congregation to read the entire New Testament this year. The whole thing. Even if you've read it before, we want to challenge everybody to read the entire New Testament. Just the New Testament, one chapter a day, five days a week. That is not burdensome. It is not. Some of you tried it this week. It was amazing. I did this myself. We started in Luke, and over the course of this year, we will read everything in the entire New Testament. And look, we've got things to help you in this. We've got everything on our app. We've got a Bible. We've got the plan right there. It's all free right there on the app for you. We've got resources out front. There actually are some left over. I told the first service not to buy them all, all right? There are actually a few books available you can buy. If you want some books, a a journal to write in. We've got a little commentary book that walks you through this plan so you can walk through every day with us. There's books for teens. There's books for kids. There's books for adults. Man, we've got those out there. They're just available to help you if these can be helpful in knowing the word. We've got copies of God's word you can buy as well. We want everybody to be reading God's word in this new year so we can learn all that Jesus has commanded. You read the entire New Testament, you'll read all the words that Jesus Christ spoke and more. You will know all that he commanded. We need to do that. And so I really do hope all of you will join in with us. Now, if you're still on the fence about that, uh, and you say, ah, I don't know if I'm really going to do that. I got some other things I'd like to do. I don't know if I really want to jump in. I don't know if I have really time uh, to read the Bible or the New Testament this year. My question to you is, why not? And I expect you to have an answer. Like, what's your actual answer for why not? Like, like why can you not read the New Testament this year? Why could you not do that? Because there's a reason And you may know the reason or you may not. I'll tell you the reason it's not. And don't ever tell me this in public. Don't ever say it's because you don't like to read. Never say that in public to me ever, ever. I will give you the biggest eye roll you have ever seen. I will put every 13-year-old to shame with this eye roll, all right? I believe none of you if you say, I don't like to read. Do you know why? We are the most readingest generation there has ever been. Want me to prove it? Pull out your phone that we look at 4,000 times a day. 
We read text messages. We read articles. We read sports scores. We read updates. We read all kinds of things. We read everything on our phones. We read all day long. Can we read a chapter a day? Absolutely we can, which means there's a different reason. So what's the real reason we don't want to read the New Testament this year? Because there's something else under, lurking underneath. What you might find is a reason like this. Adam, I don't want to read the New Testament because I know what's in there. And I don't feel like being convicted about that. I, I, don't, I don't know if I want to read what's in there. Because if I read it, then I'm accountable to it. And I, I don't know if I really want that in my life. There might be some other reason. And those still aren't good reasons. Guys, if we want to grow in the Lord, grow in our spiritual maturity, we cannot do that without reading his word. We can't obey what we don't know. And so we pour into the word. This is why, by the way, every sermon we start with, open your Bibles. We're going to teach the Bible in men's Bible studies, women's Bible studies. We do it with our our kids and with our students and, and all across our congregation and all the things that we do. Why? This is how we grow in our spiritual maturity. We need to be taught all that God commanded. But here's the third thing. Look at that same phrase. It says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. He doesn't simply ask us to know what he commanded. He said he wants us to live it out. He said, I'm not, I don't want you just to be aware of what I taught. I want you to do what I taught. I want you to obey my commands. I want you to do what I say. I want you to take what I have told you and put it into practice. And look, this is the place where all of us got room to grow, right? You may have read the New Testament before. You might know most of the New Testament, but all of us have a bigger challenge when it comes to putting it into practice, living it out in real time. We all have room to grow there. And Jesus is talking to people like us who have room to grow. You can actually see that in the text. Look back at verse 17. This is one of my favorite verses. Look what it says. It says, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Did you catch that? I got that verse underlined in my Bible. I love that. Get this. The disciples saw Jesus crucified. They are seeing him risen from the grave. Thomas is standing there. He, they, they touched Jesus. He's alive again. They worship him as savior, but they still harbor some doubts. They don't fully understand what's going on. They don't fully understand what's really happening. And guess what Jesus doesn't do? Jesus doesn't look at those 11 guys. He knows that some of them doubt. He doesn't draw a line in the sand. He says, all right, we're about to do some amazing things. We're about to change the world. But if you're with me, I gotta have 100%. No doubts, no nothing. You gotta be all in, everything right now. Leave your doubts behind. You gotta be with me 100%. Cross this line if you're with me. But he doesn't do that. He knows they doubt and says, you guys, come on. I know you got issues. I know you got some questions. I know you don't understand it all. That's cool. I'm cool with that. Follow me anyway. With all of your doubts, with all of your issues, with all your hangups, whatever, you can still come. Some of you have doubts. That doesn't keep you from following after the Lord. Shouldn't. Because he's not asking you to have perfection before you follow him. He says, no, just come follow me and I'm going to show you how to do this. I'm going to show you how to live this out. But we can't just know about the Lord. No, we have to live this out. And look, the more you read his word, the more he's going to show you how to do that. I've heard this. People say, Adam, I've read the New Testament before. I don't need to do it again. You really do. And here's why. Because look, here's the thing. If you've read the New Testament before, here's what I can guarantee. You didn't get all of it. 
You didn't get all of it. You didn't. You can't get all of it. That's not possible. Think about your, your favorite coach or your favorite teacher. When you were trying to learn a new skill or, or, or start a new sport or, or learn a new instrument, if you had a great coach or a great teacher, what do they do? Did they give you everything on day one? No. That would be terrible. Can you imagine? If you're trying to learn an instrument, here's everything you know. Good luck. And they just handed it to you. We'd quit. You'd never start. But that's not what good coaches do. What do good good coaches do on day one? They're going to give you just a basic thing to do. Basic. And they say, try that. Practice it. And then next practice, we're going to add to that. Keep doing the first thing. And then we're just going to add to it. And slowly and surely, over time, they build you up. They teach you skills. They build on skills. You get more complex skills. Over time, you become incredibly proficient at what you do, but you don't get everything on the first go. Guess what? When you and I read the Bible, praise God, he doesn't tell you everything up front. Can you imagine that? If you open up the Bible for the first time, it says, here's what's wrong with you. Good luck. Can you imagine if Jesus did that? You'd close up as fast as you could. Nope. And you'd never open it again. That would be terrifying if God did that. But he doesn't. So he doesn't tell us at all. He said, hey, let's start with this. Let's just start with this. And the next time you read it, hey, guess what? We're going to add this. And the next time you read it, hey, we're going to add this now. And every time you and I read it, the Lord shows us more, not just to understand it, but how to observe it, how to live it out, which is why we have to constantly be living in God's word, constantly be following after him. We have to learn not just to be taught about it, but to observe all the things that God has given to us. But here's the fourth thing. Look at the last verse, or the last phrase in the verse. He says, And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, this is the most important thing he says. Behold, I am with you always until the very end of the age. But here's what's interesting about this. If you've read this passage or read the story in other passages, you'll know what happens next. Jesus ascends back into heaven. In fact, as he's saying this, he's ascending back into heaven, which is kind of weird that what Jesus effectively says is, I'll never leave you, and then promptly leaves. (laughs) That's literally what he does. He says, I'll never leave you while he's leaving. The disciples are like, what? Literally, two angels show up and are going, guys, he's not coming back. We'll tell you later. Bye, see ya. And sends them on because they're like, I don't get it. He, just, he said, he, I don't understand. They don't know. What does he mean by that? What he means is this. In just a couple weeks, the Lord's going to send the Holy Spirit to indwell them. In the same way that he indwells every single one of us who have given our lives to Christ. If you're a believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit has come to live inside of you. And the Lord says, listen, I'm not just telling you to go do something. This isn't a a time for just a New Year's resolution. The, The message of Scripture is not be better. The message of Scripture is this, live in me, abide in me, follow me, walk in me, submit to me, listen to me, learn from me. When you and I live in the Holy Spirit, he actually empowers us to do all these things. Changing ourselves is actually impossible. Changing the world by ourselves is impossible. But in the power of the Lord, nothing is impossible. And so he says, I'm putting my spirit inside of you. So my goal here is to say, listen, I want you to listen to me, learn to abide in me. Do you remember that word? 
We're going to sing it later on today. We, we spent a whole series talking about this last year. We need to learn how to abide in Jesus Christ. This is how you grow. This is how you change. This is how you change the world. And this is why it's most important. Guys, if there is no change in us, there will never be any change outside of us. Before we can ever change the world, the change has to happen in us first. Before we ever get around to changing somebody else, we, we, there has to be a change in us first. And we can't do it. And so we have to walk in the Lord, grow in the Lord, recognize that He is with us always. But if you skip this step, there will be absolutely no impact. But if we want to walk in this path, we want to grow in spiritual maturity, what are, what are a couple of things to get us started? Let me just encourage you with a few things this morning to get us encouraged today. The first is this. Uh, don't wait until you're ready. Just start. Don't wait until you're ready. Just start. Some of you go, Adam, this sounds like a great thing to do and I know I'm supposed to do that and maybe I'll give it a whirl, but I got a couple of things I got to work out. I got a couple of things I'm not proud of. I got a couple of things I need to fix in my life. And when I get those really shorn up or, 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 or kind of taken care of, then I can follow the Lord. But I, do, I just don't know if I'm ready to follow the Lord yet. Can I tell you a secret? You're never going to feel ready. This is a secret that all of us figure out sooner or later. But you might not have figured it out yet, but here's just the truth of life. You never feel ready, ever. Do we? We never feel ready. Think about when you graduated from high school. Did you feel ready? No. They were going to make you go to college. You had to figure out what you want to go to. Your whole life was on the line. You weren't ready, but you went. Then you graduate college. Did you feel ready? No. You're going to have to go get a job. What job? I don't know. You're going to go figure out your life. I don't know what to do. You have no idea. You didn't feel ready, but you did it anyway. What, what, what about getting your first job? I haven't had a job like this before. I got to start on the Bible. I don't know what I'm doing. You didn't feel ready, but you started anyway. Thinking about getting married. Nobody ever feels ready to get married. If you're waiting to feel ready to get married, you will never get married. And the people who feel super ready are typically not very ready. <laughs> you never feel ready to get married. And you certainly don't feel ready to have a kid. You have a kid or a second or a third. You never feel ready. It should not stop you from actually walking through these doors. The same is true with your spiritual growth. The same is true with your spiritual maturity. Don't wait until you're ready. You'll never start. The Lord's not expecting you to be ready. He will equip you along the way, but you just gotta start. You gotta do something. You gotta choose to follow after him. Think about the 11 guys that Jesus chose. The, the 11 guys that Jesus chose, he did not go to the seminaries and he did not go to the Bible schools to get his disciples all Jewish young men are trained to be rabbis until ultimately most fail and the rest of them do something else. Jesus found 12 Bible school washouts and used them to change the world. It's possible. You don't have to be ready. Don't wait until you're ready. Just start. Say, I want to grow in my spiritual maturity. Here's the second thing. You need to admit you need to grow up. You need to admit that you need to grow up. As I was writing this, I was trying to think this through and I thought this is probably harder from some generations than others. I actually think this is just hard for everybody. It's hard for everybody to admit that we all need to grow up, but everybody needs to grow up. This is true even for younger generations. I've seen this in some younger generations, this attitude of like, we got it, we got it figured out. I don't know what you old people are doing. We got it figured out. Give us the reins, we'll do it. I don't know why you had not made me CEO yet, all right? I know what to do, let me do it. I got it all figured out. I got news for you, you need to grow up. You do. You don't have it all down yet. But for those of us who are older in the room, we all need to grow up too. 
He said, Adam, I, I don't, I, you may not be as old as I am, but Adam, uh, I, my body does not work as well as it used to, all right? Things hurt all the time, all right? More people are younger than me than older than me, and that freaks me out, all right? But Adam, I've done my growing up. I, I don't have enough, a, a lot of life left. I don't know if I still need to grow up. Absolutely, you do. Every one of us in this room needs to continue to grow up. Do you know what God made us for? He made us for eternity. You and I are going to live in Christ forever. We're going to have billions of years to live in Christ. If you are an 80-year-old in this room, do you realize that cosmically you're still an infant? You're an infant. You got billions of years to go. You got 80? Good for you. We're all just starting. We're all just at the beginning and there's so much more that God wants to show you. And so guess what? We all have room to grow. We all have room to grow up. Now, what do we mean by that though? What does it mean that we all need to grow up? Because honestly, a lot of you guys are pretty awesome. You are. I know a lot of you guys and a lot of you are incredibly impressive. You are impressive in your life. You're impressive in your success. You're impressive in your jobs. You're successful in what you do. You're successful, many of you, in your parenting or, or your, your leadership or a lot of things. I mean, so many of you do so many incredible things. What does it mean to say we all need to be growing up? What does that look like? It looks like this. We all need to be growing up in our character. We all need to be growing up in character. Because what is Jesus doing in us? Well, he's changing us. How? Well, he's changing us to be like him. That's literally what he's trying to do. He's transforming us from our image where we are to his image, from one degree of glory to another. He is making us like him. And so what he's doing in our souls is he's transforming us to literally be like him, to where we will love what he loves, hate what he hates. We, would, we live like he lives, react how he reacts. We would literally just do what he does. And let's just be honest, none of us does that perfectly. All of us in different ways, we have room to grow in our character. Even though the Lord may have done some incredible things in us, there are going to be places where we say, hey, listen, that, that, that attitude, that part of your personality, the, the way you react here, okay, this is not the way Christ would react. And he's working to transform us over time to be like him. So question, where is the Lord working on your character? Where's the Lord working on your character right now? Now, here's a trap. If you're thinking about somebody else right now and how they need to work on their character, you just found your character flaw. Because <laughs> you somehow think other people got things to work on and you don't. That other people have things they need to work on, but you're doing just fine. Get the log out of your own eye before you're taking out specks in others. Don't worry about other people. The Lord will help them. We got to work on us. How do we need to grow in our character? How is Jesus transforming us to be like him? This is how he wants us to grow. And all of us have room to grow. We need to admit we need to grow up. Here's the third thing. Don't pass up the opportunity. Don't pass up the opportunity. The opportunity that the Lord gives us to change the world, the opportunity that the Lord gives us to grow in him, these are time-sensitive opportunities and you can lose them. It is absolutely possible for the Lord to pass us by after a certain amount of time and say, I gave you opportunity and you did not take it. And we miss out on what God has prepared for us. 
It has happened before. There have been people who followed after Jesus who then chose not to follow him. Like in Jesus' day, wouldn't you hate to be one of those people? To say, I follow Jesus. He just didn't impress me. You know, I followed Jesus for a while, but you know, he just didn't live up to my expectations. I was following Jesus. I just had better things to do. He said, Adam, nobody would do that. Yeah, they did. Check this out. This is in John 6, 66, which please notice the irony there of this verse, John 6, 6, 6. Um, look what happens in John 6, 6, 6. Check it out. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answers him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And yet even one of those guys would end up stabbing Jesus in the back. It is possible for the Lord to give us opportunities and for us to miss out, to walk away and not be there when the Lord does the blessing. Now, let me be clear. That doesn't mean you're losing your salvation. Doesn't mean that he can't give you another opportunity of some kind. He probably will because he's gracious. But this opportunity, the one you were given, that one's gone and it does not come back. You lose it. And so think of this amazing opportunity that the Lord is giving us right here, right now. And I mean us, like the people in this room and the ones who were here just about an hour ago in the first service. What God is offering to us right here at Double Oak Mount Laurel. He says, I have put you here at this point with these people to impact this particular portion of the world. And if you and I don't become the kind of church that builds the kingdom here, that reaches out to our neighbor, this church will wither and die and the Lord will plant another one in its place so he can get the job done. He will absolutely accomplish it with or without us. But praise God, he came to us first. And he says, I chose you. I've gathered you right here, right now in 2024, this configuration of people. And I've put you in a very particular place. I'm not asking you to change the entire world, but I've put you in this context with these people that you walk with and live around and work with and, and see and drive on the streets with, with these people. I want you to change the world. This is the opportunity that God is giving us. Why would we pass that up? Why would we miss that? What could possibly take us away from what the Lord is, is offering to us? He's offering us this, but we can miss the opportunity. Don't miss it. Don't wait another year. Don't find yourself in 2025 wishing you had done more to grow in your spiritual maturity. And so guess what we need? In this congregation, this is what we need as a church. We need tons of men and women who walk deeply with the Lord. We don't need two, we don't need 10. We need hundreds of men and women who walk after the Lord and follow him with their, all, all their heart. We need hundreds of men and women with spiritual wisdom. Spiritual wisdom isn't built in a day. It's not the kind of thing you can get overnight. We gotta work now so we can continue to build it. We need hundreds of men and women who know the Bible backwards and forwards. You can't get that in an hour a week. You can't get that in an hour in a month. We got to invest time and effort. And guys, it's slow. It's messy sometimes. It'll take way more than a year. But when you and I pour into the word and dive into the word, and the Lord pours his life back into us, we become men and women who know the word backwards and forwards and can teach and train future generations in how to follow him. How many of us have been so blessed by mothers and fathers, spiritual mothers and fathers who poured the word into us? Well, we're getting older. 
we got to become those people so we can pass that on. We can't do that unless we delve into our spiritual maturity. So here's the final thing, though. We need to make growing in spiritual maturity our top priority. We need to make growing in spiritual maturity our top priority. Now, let's just get real honest. I know I'm preaching to the choir. I am. You guys showed up to church on the first Sunday of the year. Okay, you are people who are making spiritual growth a priority. That's why you came this morning. That's why you're here. You say, Adam, I already believe that, and I believe you. I agree with you. I think for almost everybody in this room, we would not disagree with the statement. Spiritual maturity, growing in spiritual maturity is a priority for me. I think almost all of us believe that. But here's the bigger question. Do you believe that growing in spiritual maturity is a top priority for you? And that's different. Because when you and I look at our lives and we get to the end of the year, we find for many of us we haven't been investing as much in our spiritual maturity. Why is that? Well, because along with that priority, we got a lot of other ones too. We got a bunch of top priorities. And when you really get down to it, spiritual maturity ends up being like five or six. Because we got a bunch of top priorities. Can I tell you another secret? Here's another secret we all find out sooner or later. You can't do everything. You can't. It's impossible. Culture lies to us. Culture says you can have it all. You can have it all. You can have it all with your job, your family, your marriage, your kids, your extracurricular activities. You can do everything. You can be everything to everybody. You can do it all. It's a lie. You can't. You can't. You can dabble in all of those things, but you'll never really experience the joy of any of them. You only have a finite amount of time. We only get 24 hours a day. We only get so many years on the planet. You can't do all of those things, which means you're going to have to make some priority calls. We have a lot of great priorities, but which are the most important? What's most important? And you're going to have to say no to some other good things. It doesn't mean that they're bad. We just have to make priority calls and say, I only have a limited amount of time. So you know what? I, I got to spend my time here, because if you try to do everything, you'll end up doing nothing. You won't accomplish any of it. Jesus says, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and everything gets added to you. Everything that matters, everything you need. But seek me first. Instead of just making spiritual maturity a priority, we got to make it a top priority. To say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to invest in my spiritual maturity because when I'm growing in Christ, he gives me wisdom, he gives me life with which I get to live in my family, my workplace, my extracurriculars, and all the rest of the things that I do. But it's got to start with Jesus. He's first and foremost. we got to make a call that says, I want growing in spiritual maturity to be my top priority. Hence why I'm going to spend time in the Word. I'm going to grow in Him. I want to submit myself to, to growing spiritually. That might be joining a community group or a double university class or a men's or women's Bible study or just being consistent in worship to say, I need to grow in my spiritual maturity. And guys, when we do, when we live as disciples, just like these first 11 who had doubts, who had issues, who were not perfect, the Lord turned around and used them to change the world. And there is zero reason why he cannot do that with us. Even though we got issues and our doubts and we're not all okay yet. But with this very real and messy group of people, it is absolutely possible for the Lord to change us 
and to change the world through us. First step is to commit to growing in spiritual maturity. So do this for me. Bow your heads and close your eyes where you're at. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, listen, I don't, I don't know if you're into the resolution thing or not. But there's an opportunity for us today to do something even more powerful than just make a resolution about our life. I can't tell you how many resolutions I've broken because ultimately they just rest on my own willpower. But here's the great news that Jesus offers us. He says, I want to help you grow in spiritual maturity. He's not standing at the finish line and beckoning you forward. He's coming alongside you and encouraging you, empowering you, strengthening you, helping you, being patient with you. What an amazing coach. What an amazing teacher. What an amazing savior who forgives us and loves us and offers us this opportunity. Regardless of what you've done with the other ones, he offers us this opportunity this year, right now. He's inviting you to be a part of it. What would happen if today you just made that commitment to say, God, I I don't know how it all plays out, but for my part, I want to make you first. You're going to have to help me. I I don't have all the questions answered, but, and I don't feel ready, but I choose you. I want to grow in my spiritual maturity and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to grow. What if we just made that commitment today and see what the Lord can do with a year? See how he might change us and then through us, change the world. So Lord, help us. For all my brothers and sisters here, Lord, you'd help us. You know the places we need to grow, the places where our character needs to be refined, the things that need to change. Lord, you know how to help us, to equip us. So would you do that this year? I pray for any friends in this room who haven't fully given their lives to you yet. Maybe that this would be the year they truly get to know you and surrender their life to you that they might find the life that you made them for. God, please, I I don't don't want to just grab whatever we want or the things the world is offering. God, we want what you want and what you are offering, things that we can't do. And so would you take us and do the impossible and change us and change the world. God, we'll give you all the praise for it. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Stand up with me, if you will. We're going to sing a song that says, God, teach me to abide. Don't let it just be the end of a service. Don't let it just be a song to start your year. Make it a prayer for you. A a prayer that says, God, I am asking you, teach me to abide and I will follow after you. There's folks waiting in the prayer room. If you want to go pray there, I'll be waiting right here up front. You want to come to the altar? Let's not go through the motions. Let's not waste another year. Let's take him up on the opportunity that he gives us. Let's respond and sing as the Lord leads us.